Take your Bibles and turn, if you will, as we continue our study in uh, the book of Samuel. Turn to 1 Samuel. Today we're going to be looking at really an overview of three chapters, but we're going to be looking at um, two specifically as we look at uh, chapters 25 and 26. A couple of weeks ago as we wrapped up chapter 23, um, if you want to just look at that, I'll just read those last two verses in 1 Samuel 23. It says, starting in verse uh, 28, So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. And therefore that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. So throughout this season of David's life, which is several years in fact, we see over and over and over again that David is in constant need of a rock of escape. And literally, that word there that we see in chapter 23 means a rock of divide, okay, or a rock of parting. So there is a rock parting David and Saul. There is a rock of divide that's separating David from his enemy. That's, that's literally what that word means. And so during this time, David is protected by this rock. And sometimes it is indeed a physical rock or a cave. Sometimes it's a spiritual rock, if you will. It's just this. Every time we see it, though, it's a picture of God's provision of protection for David. That he's just constantly protecting his anointed king. He's going to accomplish his purposes there. And as you see in your sermon notes, 1 Samuel begins and ends, excuse me, 2 Samuel ends. So the whole book of Samuel, 1st and 2nd Samuel, begins and ends with, with a similar theme. All right? Look back at the very beginning of the book, or I'll just read you in chapter 2, as we saw this amazing prayer that's really just a picture of everything that's going to be before us in Samuel. Hannah prays, and one of the things that she prays there is, There is none like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. So she rejoices in the salvation that God is bringing, and she looks forward to the king that he is bringing, even in this prayer. Now, if you go over to the end of Second Samuel, and toward the end of this whole narrative account, in chapter 22, we see this amazing song that comes from David there of how God has continually delivered him. And he says in verse 47, the Lord lives, blessed be my rock and be exalted, my God, the rock of my salvation. So as David comes to this end of his reign here, as we get to the end of Second Samuel, this physical rock. This rock of divide is a picture of this spiritual rock of provision and protection that's been a reality all the way through David's life. And so it's protected David from his enemies. And as we're going to see today, it protects David from himself, from his own sin. And so at the end, and we're going to see this again even at the end of the sermon because I'm going to use this as an application point. I hope that as we read through these texts and as we look at this this morning, you, you and I could join with David in what he's going to say and sing and pray. When he looks back over his life in Psalm 18, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I hope that as we look through these verses today, overview for the most part, but some of them pretty specifically, you'll just reflect back. The Holy Spirit will help you. Just think back over the course of your life. Think back over the course of your walk with Christ. See how faithful God has been to provide for you His mercy. First, His mercy in bringing you to Himself. And then His mercy in guarding and protecting you and your soul. And His mercy even in how He has guarded and protected you and me from ourselves, from our own sin. And then see how he expects and calls us to extend that same kind of mercy even to the worst of our enemies. So it's an amazing picture that we see here. God's mercy 
has been given to David and is given to us, if you will, as we are protected from our enemy again and again and again. That's the picture that we've seen throughout this portion of what is going on in the life of Israel and in the life of the one that God has called to be their leader, to be their king. In some sense, he's protected Israel from themselves, even in the request that they've made. But more specifically, David so far has been perfected by, protected simply by God's providence, God's mercy that comes just in his providence, just in the sovereign way he directs and moves. David is under attack in one place, and behold, the Philistines attack someplace else, and Saul is called away. And God just providentially orchestrates both his own people and their enemies. You see that? To accomplish his purposes. So he's protected by that. He's protected by people that God brings into his life. We're going to see some parallels today, and I'm not going to have time to develop them. But there's a lot of similarity between what we see Abigail step in and do for David and what we see Jonathan step in and do for David. As he speaks a word of encouragement to him, reminds him of God's promises, and even literally protects him, Jonathan does, protects David from their father. From his father. So he protects us and he gives us mercy even through people. And he protects us. In one place, he protects David and just pours mercy out on David in this divinely inspired acting job. Remember that? When he's with the king of Gath and he's just, he's pretending to be crazy. God worked that. God did that. That was God's mercy in that way. We need to constantly have eyes to see God's mercy. And then he protects through divine intervention. So look. Just look back and, and let's skip past chapter 25 for just a second and look at chapter 26. You remember what went on back in chapter 24? David's in the cave hiding. Saul takes a bathroom break, comes in, and David spares his life. And remember, they go back outside of the, ga- of the cave, and David confronts Saul. I'll just read you a portion of that in chapter, four, in chapter 24, starting in verse 9. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say... Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I've not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord avenge you, me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. David trusted in the mercy of God. He trusted in the justice of God. He trusted in the plan and the timetable of God in chapter 24. And in chapter 26, we see the same thing happening. It's a different context. Some liberal commentators will say, oh, it's just the same story, and, you know, it's just two accounts of the same Event or the same type of event in David's life. That's not at all the case, and you can tell that by the very difference in it. And I'm not going to take the time to read the whole chapter of chapter 26, but Saul has come back, and he has been told that David is hiding in the hills of Hikalah, on the east of Jeshimon, it says there. So Saul arises and comes down to find David. And Saul's encamped with his people. And while Saul is encamped with his people, and literally you get this picture of the army encircling Saul, and Saul camped in the middle. And Saul is asleep in the middle with his chief general or his chief bodyguard, if you will, who we will see more of as the story unfolds. And he's asleep there, and he has his jar of water, and he has his spear. We always see Saul with his spear, right? So Saul's spear is stuck in the ground next to him. And and, and as we read that account, look at verse 7. So, well, actually back up to verse 6. David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishah the son of Zerah, Who will go down with me into the camp of Saul? I love this because this is walking right into the enemy's camp, going in in the middle of the night, not to the edge, but right into the middle. And Abishah said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishah went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishah said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishah, do not destroy him. 
For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So they did. They left the camp, took the spear, took the jar of water with them, went outside the camp, went up on the mountain or on the hill there at the edge of the camp, and then yelled to wake everybody up. It's a wake-up call here in the middle of the night. David called to the army, it says there, and to Abner, the son of man, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your Lord. This thing that you have done is not good. And as the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you've not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. So David says, Abner, you slept through your watch, brother. You deserve to die. You're supposed to protect Saul. And so David is there on the, mil- on the mountainside confronting them. And Saul wakes up and says, verse 17, Is this your voice, my son David? David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, This is David speaking to Saul again. Why does my lord pursue after his servant? What have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. And if it is the lord who has stirred you up against me... May he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the ground away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. So David once again confronts Saul. What are you doing? This is beneath you as the king. And this is uncalled for. I've done nothing to deserve this. If God, David is saying, has done this, then let's issue an offering. Let's give an offering and maybe he will relent. But if it's a man, let him be cursed. And then Saul responds. Again, in verse 21, like he did earlier in chapter 24, Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will, do no, I will no more do you harm. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I've acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I will not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me out of all tribulation. And then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. And that last sentence says, David went his way and Saul returned to his place. David will never see Saul again. This is the end of their encounters. But it ends the same way it did in chapter 24. With David presenting Saul with the truth, the truth that's been revealed in his heart. Remember what we saw earlier, what we had read out of Psalm 37, that that God was bringing forth David's righteousness like the noonday. And that's what he does here. And once again, we see the mercy of God being poured out not only on David to protect him, but the mercy of God through David, even to his enemy once again. And that response Now, we should be thinking, well, wait a minute. What's in the middle here in chapter 25? And I love the way the Holy Spirit has orchestrated that these go together in such an amazing way to show us one thing. If if, it shows us a lot, but to show us immediately just just how complicated and broken we as human beings can be. Just the conflict in the sinner's life. The conflict, even in a man who is a man after God's own heart. And I'll, I'll, I'll play that out. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Chapter 25 is a fairly long passage of Scripture. And it is, if you will, 
this, this picture of what goes on between three main characters. There is David, there is this man named Nabal or Nabal, and there is his wife Abigail. To, so to help us kind of see this in, in this narrative form, uh, I've asked some readers to come and read this chapter for us. You follow along in your Bible, okay? So you just follow along in the Bible as, um, as they come to read. But let's, let's pick it up as we look at this chapter. It's, use your pew Bible if you need to. It's on page 247. All right? So let's just think about God's mercy received even as he protects us from ourselves. All right? As we, as we hear this chapter read. So, guys, thank you. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in man whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel. Go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strapped on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nebel's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. And we did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day. All the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this, and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master, and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste, and took two hundred loaves, two skins of wine, Five sheep already prepared, and five seas of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey, and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent. Now then, my lord, as the lord lives and as your soul lives, 
Because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he's spoken concerning you, and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt. And from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So he told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Then David heard that Nabal was dead. He said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal. And has kept his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michael his daughter, David's wife, to Paltai, the son of Laish, who was of Galam. Thank you all. So you see the interaction going on in this encounter that takes place here. Now, there's some cultural context, some cultural rules of the day that would cause us to be a little, you know, consternated, if you will, about what we see going on and how it's handled there. This is a culture of hospitality. This is a culture like some that we've visited on some of our mission trips. Where hospitality is something that is extended graciously and is expected in one sense. And hospitality is received. And hospitality can be refused, but not without great consequence. So it's a culture of hospitality. If that, if that hospitality is extended, then there's this culture, if you will, of gratitude. In, in some way being ingratiated to someone because they've extended that that type of care for you, that type of hospitality to you. David's men had extended that care and that hospitality to Nabal's shepherds, but Nabal did not return that as we saw that read. There's also a culture here of honor and shame, all right? It's a shame and honor culture. And to be shamed is to be insulted at the deepest level and to take that insult personally. That was the culture of the day, and we, and we see that. We also see the culture of the day with multiple wives, and the text doesn't speak to that being appropriate or inappropriate at this particular place, but that's, that's part of what's going on here. Abigail had prayed, and as she was talking to David, said, Remember me when you come to your throne. Remember me when you are the one leading this country. Well, David remembered. 
Cyprus are. But the text does not give us any context, any, any real commentary on that. But we will see that type of pattern in David's life come back to be a problem for him and for his son. So that context is important as we just hear this long chapter read and see this being played out before us. Who are the characters? Well, obviously David is a primary character in this. And he is there at the very beginning. But what David is here at the beginning is someone who no longer has a spiritual advisor. One of the key characters in the life of Israel just has one sentence said about him as he dies. Samuel died and was buried at his home. That's all. That's like, how much can you put on a tombstone? <laughs> Not much. And, and he dies. And I'll talk about, about that more later as we work our way through the rest of some of this. Not, not today, but we'll see the remnant of that. We'll see the shadow of Samuel being along. But David is grieving, like all of Israel is, in that Samuel has died. So here's this picture of David. And David is not yet on the throne, but do you see any characteristics of David that are commendable here? One of the things that David is doing and his men are doing are providing the protection that the king is expected to provide. Because this this unknown messenger comes. And we really could have had a fourth character reading. Because there's this young man who comes in verse 14. We don't know his name. But like many in scripture, this nameless man is used by God in a mighty way. Because Abigail would not have been pre-warned. Had it not been for this one servant of Nabal, who sees him for what he is and sees the danger that they are in, and he comes. It's it's just cool how God uses this unnamed person as an important part of what he's doing. And so this, this man comes and tells her what's going on. So David is not yet on the throne, but one of the things he tells her is that when they were with us, they were a wall night and day. They were a wall around us. We didn't miss anything when they were with us in the field. So David is providing protection. He's providing the blessing of a king. And it says even there, as he sent his men to make this request of Nabal, they came and inquired. Excuse me, I'm going to flip back too far. They come and make this request of Nabal. By the way, who is a a Calebite? (laughs) He comes from a good family. Right? I mean, Caleb, we're not going to go back and think, but Caleb's a good dude, right? I mean, he's he's one of the heroes in the Exodus, and this is one of his descendants. But the fruit fell a long way from the tree in this particular case with Nabal. David's not on the throne, but he's providing this protection. He's providing this assistance. And he comes and he offers this, really, a blessing of the king. He sent his young men and they greeted Nabal. Now that word that's used here in the ESV just for greeting him or how you shall greet him is a word that's used throughout the Old Testament to describe a blessing. So David sends his men to bless Nabal through this request. David is very much taking the part of a king here. It's interesting that one of the things that God has said earlier that his king is to be is to be a man who's going to submit himself to the Lord first. That was when, remember when Israel came and said, Samuel, we want a king like the nations? And Samuel protested against that and prayed to, prayed to the Lord. And God said, I'm going to give them a king, but it's not going to be the kind of king that I want them to have coming from the book of Deuteronomy, who's going to submit himself first to me. David seems to be doing that, at least through portion of this narrative, through a portion of what's going on here. He expected to be blessed by Nabal, but instead, look at what happens. So let's look at that second character for just a minute, this, this character named Nabal. Before we know his name, we know how much he owns, which should be a telltale sign to us that there's a problem down the road. Before we even know his name, we know he is extremely wealthy. He's loaded with this livestock. And that's the first thing that the text tells us. We know much about him from what he owns. And then we know much about him just from his name. All right? Now, later on in the passage in verse 25, then Abigail will say, Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal. His name literally means fool. Mama, what were you thinking when you named this boy? 
You know, I mean, what were you thinking when you, when you maybe she'd been partying the night before like he does? I don't know. But his name means fool. Nabal, for such as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. So Nabal is a fool. Not only is he a fool, but he's a loud, obnoxious fool. Because the messenger comes to David and says that when they came, that he railed against them. The word means to shriek or scream. So can you see this? I have this visual picture of this little jerk. That's just what he is. With a big, loud mouth who just goes off. On David's servants, who goes off on these men. What do you mean you want my water and my sheep that I have killed for my shepherds? My is emphasized in those verses. They want us to know who this belongs to. And he's just railing, he's screaming literally at these, these men who have come and made this very gracious, culturally customary request of him. And so he just rails at them. Then comes his wife, and the, and the text is clear in giving this, this, this clear contrast, this description between the two of them, and, and what a difference there is. All right? this, this woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. That is a scriptural understatement, okay? You can just, that's a scriptural understatement there in verse 3. She was discerning and beautiful. The man was harsh and badly behaved. This is another woman in the line of amazing women in First and Second Samuel. She's following in the footsteps of Hannah back in chapter 1 and 2. Just insight. Her, it's, it's amazing to see. I'll tell you what Hannah is. In fact, if you want to, excuse me, what Abigail is, if you want to turn over in the book of Proverbs, let me just read you a quick portion there in Proverbs chapter 2. Abigail is the embodiment of wisdom. She is the embodiment of wisdom that we see in Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 2, just follow along with me as, as the writer of Proverbs says in verse 1, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you will call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the path of injustice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness and walk in the way of darkness and rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Wisdom walked into David's life that day in the form of Abigail. Wisdom rode in on a donkey, bringing gifts to David that day in the form of Abigail, bringing understanding of the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God, bringing this oversight into the ways of righteousness and justice and equity, bringing wisdom into David's path and leading David to forsake the paths of unrighteousness. It's amazing to see how this plays out in this beautiful woman. This is a godly woman whose beauty is not just on the outside. It's a beauty of the interior. It's a beauty of the heart. Women, it's a model for you. What a beautiful picture this is. So Abigail comes and she's decisive and she's resourceful. So when she hears what has gone down between this fool of a husband she's got and between David and his men, she is decisive and resourceful. And she gathers together all that's been prepared, it seems, and loads it on a donkey to bring to David. She comes to fulfill the request that he has had before. She is courageous. I mean, David is on the war path. Strap on your sword was his order to his men. He's on the war path. And she has come courageously to just interdict herself, if you will, just to meet him before he gets there, back to the home place. 
She is winsome and engaging. Look at verses 23 and 24. When Abigail saw David, she hurried down off of that donkey and fell before on her face. We were practicing this morning. Aaron said, I need to be on my knees and on my face all morning as I read this. Because that's where it seems Abigail stays as she's there addressing king. There's a humility there. There's a winsomeness there. She is engaging. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Look at how she's trying to step in the way and and interdict on behalf of this fool of a husband she got. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear my words of your servant. So she is just interjecting herself into this situation. And not only does she know this man that's back at the house, but she sees, I believe, by the Lord's insight into David's own life, into his own heart, into his design, what he it is, what it is he's attempting to do here. And yet at the same time sees God's hand over it all. Look at what she says. She's perceptive. She's discerning about what it is that's going on. Follow along there in verse 26. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, that's capital L there, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. Look at verse 27. Now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow the Lord, and please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Now I want you to listen to this as I read it. Alrighty, as Aaron, Aaron was reading Abigail's part, I want you to listen to her insight into what it is that God is doing for David and through David. Forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battle, the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you, to seek your life, and the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies shall shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. Do you see that, that, that amazing picture of this bundle of humanity being cared for by God? It, it just wrapped up in this beautiful picture of God's care. You will be among those who the Lord has bundled up into his care. Those living in the care of the Lord your God. And what about the enemies? Oh, it's no accident that she mentions a sling. She knows the story. She knows what David has done. And she knows how it was done. And she knows to whom it was done. And just like David swung that sling, God will sling his And the enemies of him will be cast out. What a beautiful picture it is she has there. This understanding that comes from this lady. And why is it that she's so pressing on this? She is being used by God to protect David from himself. And it's told to us clearly in the text what is happening here. I read commentators who would say they had no negative picture of what's going on here. Oh, this is just David carrying out the cultural needs of the day. You know, just responding as a man would be expected. What are you reading when you say that? Because she says, I'm being used in a sense. I'm protecting you from two things. I'm protecting you from blood guilt And from saving with your own hand, it says in verse 26. And then later on, David says, Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you. You have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. I would ask those commentators, if it's a blessing from God, why does David need to be protected from it? It's blood guilt. It's used throughout the Old Testament as a picture of murder. And murderers' lives are to be taken. This is, not, this is not soldier warfare. This is not combat in a justified war. This is David with a short fuse. And that fuse is burning, and his men are going, and they will not take prisoners. No man will be left alive. And David then will be left with blood guilt. And Abigail understands that one day... You will be left with that reminder, with that conscience of blood guilt. But even beyond that is the saving with your own hand. 
Israel's king was not to be like the kings of the nations. They are not to be known for their own military prowess, for their pride, or for their ability to defend themselves. The king of Israel was to be known as a prince, someone who has submitted himself to the lordship of God and serving under that hierarchy, under that framework. But David here understands, as Abigail does, David, you are trying to save yourself. What's the difference in chapters 24 and 26 where David says, I can't do this myself. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And yet in 25, I'm going to touch every one of those men. And they will not remain. What's the difference? The text doesn't tell us what the difference is other than what we see going on in David's heart, I think. Has David got more esteem and more reverence, if you will, more patience with the king, with Saul, than he does with a jerk like Nabal? Well, in some ways, I guess that would be understandable. But strap on your sword and leave no male standing? Blood guilt. And taking matters into your own hands. And handling things the, think you weigh culture, the way you think culture says you should or the way your own heart says you should. That is not the way that God calls his people to live. And so Abigail steps in as this amazing picture of God's mercy, protecting David from himself. The Lord delivered me, David said, from the paw of the lion. He delivered me from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the paw of the Philistine. David had that same attitude when he was facing Saul. But something's changed as he's facing Nabal. Something's changed when he's personally insulted. Something's changed when he's been confronted, if you will, and been just put down by this jerk. And I keep using that term, but that's all he is. That's what he is here. Abigail, one writer said, I love this, is the Lord's stop sign mercifully placed in David's path. She's the Lord's stop sign. Just put mercifully in David's path. And not only that, but she reassures David. I love this. She's just like Jonathan. So there's parallels. If we were taking more time, there are parallels between Saul and Nabal. Saul is not in this chapter physically, but he's there in spirit. Because he and Nabal are very similar. There's historical roots, geographical roots that are mentioned early in the chapter that tie him back to Saul. But just in personality and character, there's a lot of similarities there. Likewise, there are between Abigail and Jonathan. Jonathan came speaking to David and said, let me remind you of what God has said he will do for you. And Abigail does the same thing. God will make you a sure house. Evil will not find you as long as you live. You are bound up in the bundle of the living, David. God will take care of your enemies and sling them out like you slung that stone out. When God has done all this, then you're not going to have to worry about the grief of your conscience, David. Because the Lord has delivered you from this that you were about to do. And David recognizes it as the gift that it is. He recognizes that. We could spend a lot of time in this chapter, but the way God just pours his mercy out on David, providentially protecting him, relationally pouring mercy through David into the lives of others, and then showing David mercy through this sister Abigail of just protecting David from himself and from his own sin. We could spend a lot of time here, but I want to give you a couple of points of application. Here's the first thing. Our culture is not that different from David's in this honor and shame deal. I see what is posted. I see what some say who testify to their faith in Christ when someone confronts them on social media. Our shame and honor culture is alive and well. And what tends to be the case in our culture, and unfortunately tends not to be very different sometimes among God's people, is you hit that sin button on me and I'll hit that sin button on you. It's amazing. It's heartbreaking. And what we see in this is the cultural context of David's day was no excuse for him to go along with that flow. 
Here's, here's, here's something that just seems to leap off the pages here. There's only one person who's ever lived who's worthy of the honor that David expected here. And that one person that is worthy of that honor took the shame that mercifully God av- David avoided that day. Jesus is the only one worthy of that honor. And we read that in the book of Revelation. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wisdom and wealth and honor and glory. That's the song of heaven. That's the song of redeemed. Jesus, you alone are worthy. And Jesus, you alone took my sin and my shame and took it to the cross. You alone are the one who bundles me up in your care. And you alone will sling out the enemy. Can you say that today? Have you put your faith and trust in the one who was slain for your sin and shame? Brothers and sisters, you can do all you want to try to do to defend your honor in this world. But one day all of us are going to draw our last breath. And we will stand before the only holy and just God. And the only honor we will have that day is if we are clothed in the blood-washed garments of those who have trusted in Jesus. So trust Him today. He took your shame. He alone is worthy of that honor. And this whole account points us to Him. We sing this song sometimes, Wonderful, Merciful Savior. Precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb would rescue the souls of men? He is Jesus. Trust him. Second application is for you as a believer today, a brother and sister in Christ. This is one occasion, we've talked about this a lot, this is one occasion where this passage can be, I believe, properly applied to us as we say, how am I like David in this? We can put ourselves in David's place today in chapter 25. And perhaps the Lord has used this text today to remind you or constrain you concerning that short fuse. Concerning that shallow skin. Concerning that quick to be offended. And slow to seek reconciliation. Perhaps the Lord would use this. To show us to be a little less of a jerk like Nabal. And a little more reliant upon God. You see, the text points us back all the way in the Old Testament to Exodus. Of the Lord who says, I am slow to anger. And then we hear that again. We hear that from Moses. We hear it from Nehemiah. We hear it from David. We hear it from Joel. Man, we even hear it from Jonah as he laments the fact that God is slow to anger. That's our God. That's our Lord. And James tells us in the book of, in the New Testament, know this, my beloved brothers, every person is to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So you might say, I really struggle with this, Gerald. I struggle with that short fuse. I struggle with those temper tantrums. I struggle with that outburst. I'd be right there with David strapping on my sword. How is it that I can even go about doing this? And I think the answer is best given to us in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. Where the writer there of Hebrews says that since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we're called to lay aside every weight and the sin that so closely entangles us or ensnares us, it says, and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who is the author and founder of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the Father. But the next verse says, consider him who endured shame. Just meditate on Jesus. Think on Christ. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, and I'll add short-fused. Consider him who endured. 
hostility against himself. Later on in chapter 13, in verse 13, it says, Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he bore. So, slow to anger. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And then one last application. Brothers and sisters, let's be like Abigail. By that I mean, let us be marked in our relationships. And I don't expect, we cannot expect this from, you know, two or three hundred people to another two or three hundred people. But within the context of your small groups, within the context of your relationships, within the context of life group, who, who, please, who will be the Abigail that will come to me or come to you? And say, what are you doing, brother? What are you doing, sister? Who will be that stop sign mercifully placed in our path? Who will say, what you are doing is not good. Let me speak a word of encouragement to you, a word of warning to you. Will you and I be that Abigail to each other? Will we love each other enough and care for the glory of God enough that we will speak into each other's lives? And say, brother, what you're doing is not good. What you are saying is, is, is not glorifying to God or edifying to the body of Christ or encouraging to anybody. In a loving way, can we just come to each other and say, stop being jerks? I think so. I think that's part of what Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is glory to overlook an offense. Let's just be a people that speak good sense into each other's lives. Amen? Let's, let's do that. I didn't hear many amens there. Hmm. Maybe we won't hear too many people say as we're leaving today, I enjoyed that preacher. Whatever. It's the Lord's word. We'll trust him with it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for these accounts, for this picture of your mercy that's given to us, poured out on us every day. You are a wonderful, merciful Savior. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for sustaining us by that mercy. Thank you for protecting us from ourselves, from our own sinful tendencies and our failures. Thank you that through the mercy of Christ we are covered with his righteousness and he has taken our sin and shame. Father, may we walk in the light of that reality. And Father, I pray that we will be a people who are hungry for your righteousness, hungry for your glory, seeking to pursue that, Lord, in all we say and do. And, and Father, may we be known as those who are winsome and loving. Father, may we reflect your goodness and glory to those who are outside the covenant community. And Lord, may we be that, like Abigail, to each other here. Be glorified, Lord, through the lives of your people. Be glorified, Lord, through those that you save by your grace. And we lift all this up to you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.